Well, good morning, everybody. Um, thanks for having me again today. I know uh, Kevin desires to be here so badly, um, but it's, it's good for him to rest so he can actually get up here and, and preach again someday, so he got to rest his voice. Um, but yeah, he, he really desires to be here very, very badly. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, just having me again today. Um, yeah, like, like uh, was said, I am associate pastor at the Bridge Church of Bear Creek, and I'm actually still going to Denver Seminary. I'm kind of on the long haul, part-time for a while, so I'll be, I'll be who knows, I'll, when, I'll, when I'll finally graduate, but I'm enjoying it, enjoying it thoroughly, and, uh, and yeah. Um, Dr. Roger Olson was able to preach um, you know, previously, so we're grateful for that. Uh, I guess last week the message was on who is God, and that's cool. Um, and then this week, we lit the third candle, which is the candle of joy. And if you guys remember the, the kind of the classic Advent wreaths that have the, the three purple candles, or, and then the, the pink candle, so today's the pink candle. So just pretend that one's pink. But, um, and that's because it's the, it's the color of joy. The other colors, the purple, are the color of royalty and also the color of, of penitence. And so this is a time of joy, is this Advent. And it's also known as the shepherd's candle. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about that today. So let's go um, over to Matthew chapter 2. We're just going to do a little intro here, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. Matthew chapter 2. It was read earlier, but we'll read it one more time just to refresh our memories. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, the Magi, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped them. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So it says they were overjoyed. There's the, there's the joy in Advent. Um, so yeah, once again, thank you guys. Um, you know, you guys have had some great uh, guest speakers here. And then, of course, Kevin's a great preacher. And Kevin had to dig into the bottom dregs of the barrel and pull me up today, so... Just grateful that you guys are willing to put up with me here today. But hopefully uh, God's Scripture can, can help us in our walk and in our hearts and in our worship of God today. And so with that, let's go ahead and pray for, uh, for just the message here. Um, God, we're grateful for the season of Advent, this time where we get to wait for your coming. Um, God, we are grateful for all those that are here today. Um, we do pray for all those that are not here today for all those that have passed recently, for all those that are mourning. Um, God, we know that this is such a, a season of mixed emotions. So we pray that today, that may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So joy. This, this week in Advent is joy. Um. We, of course, know it's the time of joy of, of Jesus' birth. That's the whole point of Advent. Um, but we, sometimes it's hard for us to like, conceptualize that, you know, because especially if we grew up in the church, we're like, yeah, yeah, same thing every year. Got it, got it. And sometimes it can become kind of just a drone and we get lost in it. So I, I like to think about joy, like what brings joy in my life? You know, my wife and I on Saturday we are celebrating our 17th wedding anniversary, which is pretty cool. So she's put up with me for 17 years. That's pretty remarkable. That's a, a miracle in and of itself. Um, but that brings me great joy, and I'm looking forward to spending time with her this Saturday. And I, of course, I just enjoy spending, just being married to her. 
Um, and I love Advent. I love this whole season. You know, a lot of people, like a lot of kids, they go, I like Christmas because I get presents. Well, I love the whole season of Advent. I love all the, the decorations and all the songs. And I love going down to the Chris Keenel Market downtown. And it's just, it's just all the festivities and stuff are such a, such a fun, joyful time. I love the music. I'm one of those guys that can't wait to, for the Christmas music to come on. I'm one of those guys that listens to Christmas music in July. I'm one of those guys. And um, it's a joyful time of year. Um, last week, I just finished a final exam and brought joy to my heart to be done. <laughs> so this was a really, really difficult class. It was with uh, Dr. Craig Blomberg, and uh, he is retiring. So I think he kind of stuck it to us that last term and really made it extra hard. And it, it was a very challenging class. I learned a lot, but I, it brought me great joy to be done with my final exam, right? Um, at the same time, though, it's been a difficult season. And, you know, Michaela shared a little bit about that. Kevin has maybe shared with you guys a little bit. But it's been a difficult season. I mean, getting hit by a car last year and then his leg flaring up again and then being sick week after week after week and just all the craziness that's been going on, it has been a season of difficulty. It's been a difficult season in my life as well. Um, there's been much death, much disappointment, much financial difficulty. Um, I was even telling Phil I had emergency surgery two months ago. They had to operate on me. I had an intestinal blockage, and uh, I would have died had I not gone into surgery. So I'm grateful for modern medicine. So that brings me great joy. But at the same time, these are very difficult and emotional things. And it, it feels like sometimes when it rains, it pours. So at times we can ask ourselves, or I think about, I can't think, stop thinking about Kentucky. I don't know if you guys have seen some of these pictures of that candle factory that was just flattened. And they're still pulling bodies out of there. Um, and you just think, what joy, what joy are they, are they experiencing right now? I mean, they, they, were, they were looking forward to Christmas, they had their Christmas trees up, and now it's gone. You know, what, where's the joy in that? Um, these, are, these are kind of the, the tensions that we live in. We live in a really broken world, and joy can very quickly fade into anxiety. And that's a lot because we live in the world of the already but not yet, Right? And we have to live in that tension. But we constantly wait in anticipation for that next joyful moment. That's sort of the world we live in. You know, it's easy for us as Christians, I think, to anticipate things. We anticipate what church is going to look like. We know what to expect. We know that in between March and April, there's going to be some Lent or Passion series kind of sermons going on. We know that in December there's going to be stuff about Advent and Christmas, and so you're probably thinking, oh great, Chuck's going to talk about Advent again and Jesus' birth and, you know, the animals and the angels singing and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. am. And we, we can expect this, and sometimes it can just become, like I said, monotonous. Um, and this routine that's supposed to be life-giving can sometimes turn into something that's dead and dry. Um, I know when I was a kid, I grew up in a liturgical church, and it became dead and dry to me because it seemed to me like it was the same thing over and over. But now that I've gotten older, I look back on that and I think about how formational it was and how important it was to my soul to instill some of those traditions and understanding God and His sovereignty. But it is hard sometimes to maintain that joy in what we're doing. And it's hard sometimes to remember the why 
in what we're doing. You know, sometimes even worse, we can fail to value at all some of these rhythms in our life, like Advent every year or Lent every year. In fact, some people are so um, turned off by it that they only show up twice a year. I like to call them creasters. They show up for Christmas and Easter, and that's it, right? And this is, this is what can happen to us sometimes. We, we just get stuck. So with all that kind of Debbie Downer kind of talk, let's, let's talk about Advent. What, what is this? How can we gain joy in a world so broken and so full of hurt and discouragement or even monotony? Um, let's back up for a second. Advent, what does that even mean? The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means simply arrival. And Adventus was a ceremony that Roman cities would celebrate uh, in anticipation of the arrival of either a Roman emperor or some dignitary. And so they would have a big party. I mean, they would have all the best food, all the, the temples would be going crazy, they'd have parades, and it was a big deal. These Adventus uh, celebrations. And then, of course, when the emperor would arrive, there would be, you know, you can imagine confetti and, you know, I don't know, floats and balloons and parties and bands. I don't know, you know. Um, that's, what they, that's what they looked forward to. So there was, there was an expectation, an arrival, a waiting, a longing for this emperor to come and to see your city. Because you're like, well, I mean, the Romans thought that the emperor was God was deified. And so they, when the emperor showed up, it was like God showing up to your town. So they, they, it was a big deal, and they were very excited about it. And so the church adopted that same word, Advents, because we look forward to our king arriving. And so what kind of party is God going to throw before Jesus' arrival? What is the Adventist? Well, Joseph and Mary show up, and there's no inn, or there's no room in the inn, Right? We know this story. I, I'm old enough to remember when you would go somewhere and you had to drive around and look for a vacancy sign in the motel. And they drove around and there was nothing. There was a trip I took one time from Tucson, Arizona to Portland, Oregon. And the whole trip, everywhere I went, there were no vacancy signs. And so I slept in the car <laughs> on the various nights that I stayed. And this was the world that they lived in, except it was much worse. They didn't have a car to sleep in. They had a donkey, and she was pregnant, and then she was going to give birth. And so what did they do? Well, they gave birth, and they put Jesus in a manger. And we always think manger, that's sort of a, a religious Advent speak. Nobody knows what mangers are anymore. It was a feeding trough. It was a feeding trough. They put Jesus in that because they didn't have a, a proper place to put him. So this is the party that Jesus arrived in. There was not much expectation. There was not much fanfare. There was no big band. There was no balloons or floats. It was them arriving to no vacancy signs and some dirty shepherds showing up to give their praises. So today we're going to look at the shepherds because this is the shepherd candle that we lit today, the, sh the candle of joy. And we're going to look at these shepherds who received the word of Jesus' birth. You know, sometimes we can mix, <clears throat> mix up the stories 
of who arrives where and when. In Matthew, we learn about the Magi and how they showed up from a foreign land, and they came chronologically much later. The shepherds came really early, and that's the passage in Luke. So we're going to um, read that passage here today. So let's go ahead and pick up here in Luke chapter 2. So grab your Bibles. <clears throat> and we're going to learn about this announcement of Jesus' birth and what we have to look forward to. It says in verse 8, chapter 2, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Well, this is quite a scene. I think this is one of those passages where we've heard it so many times, we just don't quite understand how crazy this scene was. So there's shepherds, they're hanging out in the fields at night. I don't know what they're doing, sleeping. Maybe they use the sheep for pillows. I don't know what they're doing. But they're, it's, the, it's the nighttime. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up and starts talking to them. Now, we think of angels as these chubby little kids with wings, well, if you read it scripturally, angels were like warriors, big beefy men with swords, and they were here to slaughter. One angel took out Shinnatsherib's army, the army of the Assyrians. I mean, that's that just one angel whoosh, killed them all over just one, one foul swoop. So if an angel shows up to you, you're not, oh, look, a little angel showed up. No, you would be terrified of an angel. So an angel shows up, he gives them this good news. He says that um, don't be afraid, first of all, because, you know, you should be afraid, but don't be. And I have good news. What's this great news? Is that in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, the Messiah has been born. Now, these shepherds, if they had been around at all, they had heard at least in some point in their life in the synagogues about the promise of the Messiah, this guy who's going to come back and redeem Israel back to this, the good old days of when David ruled Israel. That's what they were expecting. So they would, they would have very much known what this Messiah was. They wouldn't have been confused. But they probably were confused about, oh, okay, right now in Bethlehem? Why are you talking to us? They were probably a little confused. And then he says, here's what the sign will be. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now that was really weird. See, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whom God sent down to redeem Israel, who's going to beat back those dirty Romans, and he's born and put in a feeding trough? I mean, I guess that is a sign, because there's probably only one baby that night that was in a feeding trough, wrapped in clothes, and that was Jesus. So it was a good sign, but it was a little weird. Like, they were, they were very... I'm sure very baffled. And then at the very end of this, boom, all of a sudden the heavens open up and these angels start singing. And once again, they were probably a little freaked out. And I don't know what they were thinking, 
but they were probably rather terrified. It says an angel came down and talked to them. The angel, the word in Greek literally just means messenger. A messenger. And it's very common in Scripture, like I said earlier, that uh, when people see an angel, they are struck with terror. In fact, we read about Joshua. When he saw an angel, he fell flat on his face immediately and was like, oh my goodness, please, please spare me. Um, we know that when Isaiah was caught up in this dream um, in the temple and the seraphim, which are some, maybe some form of angels, he was like, I'm going to die. You know, and the, they, the people in the scriptures when they encountered angels were absolutely terrified. But it's also interesting when it says that they brought good news. The word in the Greek is the verb form of a word. If you guys were around several weeks, several months ago, when I came and talked about the word evangelion, which is where we get the word evangelism from, that's the same word that's derived from in the, in the verb there. And it says, I brought this good news to share with you. The other kind of thing, if you, if you guys are Greek nerds, I don't know if I, I am a little bit, but they use the middle voice. And in Greek, they have this middle voice, which means it's like there's something very special and important, and you've got to focus right here. This is the thing right here. Don't look at anything else. Focus on that. That's what kind of the middle voice is. And they're saying, we're bringing this, this good news. And, or the gospel. That's where we get the word gospel from. And you know, they, they, they go through all this kind of stuff, and, and they're supposed to be encouraged and have enthusiasm about it, but I think they were a little confused. I think they were a little confused. And I think about, do we have the same kind of enthusiasm that the angels had to share the good news? I know sometimes I can get confused about what I'm supposed to talk about, maybe like these guys were, or I get afraid because I don't know what to say. And, but yet, we are called to go and share this good news in the same kind of power that the angels shared it with the shepherds. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what our calling is. That's what our calling is as evangelism. But the big question is, why shepherds? Why did the angels go to the shepherds? Why didn't they just go to, say, King Herod or the Sadducees or the Pharisees or talk to the Sanhedrin? Well, I think if they did, they would have immediately gone and killed Jesus because they knew that the Messiah was supposed to be the, this new king and it would have removed their power. Um, but, but why shepherds? Like, what, what was so special about the shepherds? Well, nothing, in fact. And that's why God came to the shepherds. See, shepherds evolved in kind of how they were viewed in society. So, King David, when he was a shepherd in Israelite times, like in the old Israel, it was kind of an honorable job, an honorable profession. But by the time we roll into the, the first century, especially under Rome, shepherds were not, you know, well-received. They were considered thieves. They were considered unclean. They were not well-groomed. They just were kind of the, the low-lifes, the despised in society. And their occupation under pharisaical law kept them from being able to participate in the Jewish ceremonial law at the temple because they were unclean. And so this meant that even though these are the guys that were uh, raising the flocks of the lambs that were to be sacrificed in the temple, they themselves often couldn't participate in those same ceremonies. So this is a, they were in a rough spot. 
they were despised. They couldn't really worship in the temple, but they were still Jewish. So what's going on? Um, this is, this is how, they were, how they were viewed. And their testimony was also considered very unreliable because, like I said earlier, they were considered swindlers and thieves. So in a lot of Jewish writings, they, it said they, you should not take their testimony into the court of law because they're just liars. Just don't even listen to them. Because they were that despised in, in, the, in the society. But we see this kind of consistent um, praise of the despised, the lowly, throughout the Gospel of Luke. And we'll get to that a little bit more. Um, but I, I want to just talk about, because I think it's hard for us to conceptualize how bad they were. And I was trying to think of an example of somebody who's despised in our society. And I used to work within the childcare industry. And I think that childcare workers are somewhat cons- like the level of the shepherds in today's world. They are the shepherds of our day, if you will. They are underpaid, overworked, um, they were not treated well when COVID hit and the shutdown happened. Um, Childcare uh, centers closed left and right, but at the same time, we rely on them. It's like the backbone of what allows our industry even to work is to have these people watch people's kids so that people can go to work, and yet they're despised. They don't. They aren't really cared for, and so. But then I thought, you know, actually anybody who is considered an essential worker when everything happened is sort of the despised, right? The stock clerk, the guy that works in the Amazon warehouse that packs that box that your um, item can arrive the very next day. We do not consider those people at all. I think about the people that worked at this candle factory in Kentucky. They were probably despised, making minimum wage, working a grueling job, Nobody cares about them. Nobody knows them. I even looked up because I was like, well, what candle factory was this? It was like a generic candle factory that made candles for whatever, whoever needed them. Like, talk about like no name. They were nothing. Nobody knows who these people are. They were despised. And so we can think about this in our society. We think about this a lot. Where we have despised people, we just don't think about it. Like our clothes. We want that cheap t-shirt. But that cheap t-shirt is made in some sweatshop overseas. And then, so we don't have to pay much money for that. They're despised. There are a lot of people in our society that are despised, and the shepherds were in that same category. So I hope that helps us kind of get our brains around, like, what place in society the shepherds were in. But I think it's ironic that the people charged with carrying, well, I already said that, actually. um, Sorry. Bear with me here, guys. Um... Lost my spot here. Here we go. So God shows these people, shows, shows these shepherds to be among the first to hear of, of, of Jesus. And I think what this does is it demonstrates God's care for all people, not just those that are great, not just those that have places in the temple or places of honor in the synagogue or the rulers or whatever, but the lowliest, most despised people. I mean, look at, what, look at what he used to build this new kingdom through the Messiah. He had a young girl, Mary, who was probably a teenager when she was um, conceived with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. 
We have the Magi who were foreigners outside of Israel. Foreigners were not looked up as, 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 as good people in Israelite society. And these shepherds. And we see throughout Luke, he talks about despised people. Samaritans and Gentiles, tax collectors and sinners, women, the poor. These were all people who were despised in their society, and yet they're given a huge important place in the Gospel of Luke and in the ushering in of God's kingdom through Jesus. So we see that God cares for all people, and that's why he comes to the shepherds. And so it's something we can't just forget. It wasn't just these cuddly sheep like we see in these greeting cards. It was the most despised, and that's what God came and started his kingdom with. So we have to ask ourselves today, like, what despised class in our society are we neglecting? I think about it all the time, because I, we live in such a cush society in America. The poorest people in America are richer than some of the richest people in other countries. We live in a world full of despised people, and yet we are called to care for them because God used them in great ways, and we too are called to care for them as well. You know, there's a slew of Afghan refugees coming into the United States right now. I'm not sure if you guys have been paying attention to Afghanistan, but um, Denver Rescue Mission has been doing a bunch of work with placing these people. Um, uh, there's a guy in my church, a good friend of mine, Tom Levitt, who works, he's the director of family services and community ministries at Denver, uh, to, sorry, Denver Rescue Mission. And he um, is placing these Afghan refugees in various houses and making sure they're taken care of and so on. And these people are coming from a very, very broken world, one of the poorest countries in the world, war-torn, and it always has been war-torn. This is not just something that's gone on over the last 20 years. Afghanistan has been the place of wars and the pawn of empires for millennia. So here's what they, they're coming over here in the United States. It must just be an absolute culture shock for them to come here. Maybe they don't speak the language. They certainly don't understand the culture. It's everything's so different for them. And these are the despised in our society right now. And I, I hope to be able to care for them in whatever way I can to, be able to take care of them. Let's keep reading here in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You know, this is a terrible way for any kid to come into the world, but how much worse for a king, right? The Messiah, the guy who's supposed to usher in this rebuilding of Israel's kingdom. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God, in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, glory to God in the Greek is the word doxa, which is where we get, you guys know the song, the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the doxology. It's, the, it's bringing glory to God because that's who he is. And that's what this is supposed to be here, uh, the doxa. This is God's glory bringing the Messiah down to earth so that he could build his church, the kingdom of peace. Because it says here, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
It is interesting that it's because, you know, I, I grew up watching the Charlie Brown Christmas, and Linus says, and peace to all men on earth, or something like that. He, say, he doesn't say it at all right in the, in the passage, because it says right there, to those on whom his favor rests. Or in the English Standard Version, it says, among those with whom he is pleased. What does that mean? Well, I think that God gave everybody a way to come into his kingdom, but it's important that we take that step to have faith, to find favor in God, to ask God, God, please, I would like to be part of this kingdom. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. So if you're, maybe you're visiting here today, maybe you're online watching this for the first time, and you haven't found favor in God, well, guess what? You can do that today. You don't have to go through some 12-step program or whatever. You just need to find favor in God today by just saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So it comes back to joy here. The joy of heaven is knowing that God makes good on His promise. You know, generation after generation, people continue to wait for the hope of the arrival of God and that He will deliver us. Remember, we live in the already but not yet. We talk often about our salvation, but we're not really truly saved until Jesus comes back. That's when the, f- the fullness of our salvation is lived out. It's something that we await, it's something we look forward to, and it's something that should bring us joy. Diedrich Bonhoeffer you know, his little um, book on Advent, I know Kevin's been throwing that in the email. It is an astounding and amazing book on Advent. But he, he said at one point, the joy of God goes through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. That is why it is invincible, irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish when it is there, but finds God in the midst of it. In fact, precisely there. It does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but it finds life precisely within it. This is what joy is. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer, can, he can talk, you know, he can talk the, walk the talk, right? Because he was in prison. He was eventually killed by the Nazis. And yet he found great joy And some people forget this too. Bonhoeffer was in the United States and was safe and he went back to Germany because he felt like he needed to care for his people. So he found great joy even in the midst of some of the worst times of his life, being in prison and so on. So it got me thinking about there's a psychology between uh, happiness and joy. Okay, Happiness is sort of more of an emotion Joy is more of a a state of being. Um, Joy should be consistent and it's cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are in God, why you are, and how you are. Does that make sense? And happiness is typically externally triggered, okay? It's based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. So, Happiness is when I eat a piece of chocolate. Brings me happiness, right? 
But joy is this more long-suffering. It's this, it's this like longing, this hope. Um, I find joy in things, um, different circumstances, um, like um, working towards obtaining my degree, my Master of Divinity at, at Denver Seminary. It brings me great joy to go through this, even though it's, there's great pain in, amidst uh, all the studying and learning Greek. <laughs> it's so hard. And it brings great anxiety, but it brings me joy because there's, there's not necessarily happiness all the time, but there's an internal joy. Um, another thing is we, we can, it can bring us great joy when we go through medical treatment from a disease that has threatened our lives. I mean, many of us know people who have survived like stage four cancer or whatever and have a different outlook on life now. They just have rewired their brain because they had that taste of almost being on the, the precipice of death, and yet they turned back. This is, this is the joy that they have. You know, we see a child doing well under our care for the parents in the room. We, it brings us great joy, even though our kids can sometimes be a terror, right? I have a two-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they can wreck a house like nobody's business, right? I mean, you know, make a big mess and whatever else, and then they throw fits sometimes, but you know what? It brings me great joy because of who they are and, and that they are a creation that God gave to us and put under our care. So even in the midst of, of the difficulties of parenting, we can find joy in that. And even if, we don't, even if you don't have kids, you can very clearly understand that because like, we've been around people that, that have kids. You know, also I think when we regularly care for the weak, the helpless, the despised in our midst, it can bring us great joy because it's something much bigger than us and our own fleeting happiness. This is the reason why we're, by the way, this is like totally off the, off the cuff right now. This is the reason why we're addicted to social media or various things like TV is because we get a dopamine hit in our brain every time we get a like on a post that we posted or any time uh, some talking head on the TV says something we agree with. We get a dopamine hit, and we literally become addicted to that fleeting happiness. And we want more every single time. But to find joy is something deeper. It's something longer looking. You're looking much past just the here and now. Um, I think about what's the opposite of peace. For me, it's anxiety. And a lot of things can cause anxiety in our life. But once again, it's finding that joy deep down inside that God has given us a purpose here on earth. What are you doing to cultivate joy in your life right now? What are you doing to cultivate joy? Or are you just running around trying to gather up all the gifts and make sure everybody has presents and whatever else? What are we doing to cultivate joy in our life? You know, Advent is a season of waiting and wanting, looking and longing, desiring the joy of the transcendent Jesus to invade our lives. We look forward to that every year. I love Advent because we get to do that every single year. But something I've had to learn is that you can only do that when you slow down, when you simplify your life, when you sit in silence and solitude and just listen to God. We live in such a fast-paced, like, hustle kind of culture. And 
It just requires us to slow down, to stop, and just wait for Jesus. It's a pretty encouraging time of, of the year for me. This is also why, going back to, I talked about the liturgy or things that we do in church every time, like even the way the order of services is technically a liturgical thing that we do. Every, every week it's a little different. I mean, it's, it's the same, but it's a little different, right? Different songs, but it's the same kind of order. A lot of times those things can become monotonous if we're not in touch with the joy that God's supposed to give us. But if we are, it will remind us of what's truly important. And that's why I thank you guys for coming today to put up with me, who kind of put together a sermon at the last minute here, um, to, to help you guys. I hope that the scriptures are edifying to, for you guys today. But today, it isn't just like me being up here today. It's the wholeness of our service. It's being in this building with one another. It's singing the songs together. It's lighting the candles. It's seeing that there's a big cross up here to remind us of Jesus, and he's resurrected. Notice Jesus is not on the cross because he has ascended. All these things are formational. They make us who we are, remind us of what's important. And so thank you guys for being here today because you don't, I don't even think we realize sometimes how important church is. Even though maybe sometimes it's just like that same thing we do every Sunday, it is incredibly formational. And it should help build that joy in our hearts that allows us to live the way Jesus wants us to. You know, Jesus didn't come into the world to be the kind of Messiah that the Jews were hoping for. He was not a nationalistic, victorious Davidic king that brought back the physical Israel. We all know he was the, quite the opposite. He did everything backwards. But that's how God's kingdom is. Everything is upside down. Everything is upside down in God's kingdom. And so I think we can't do the same thing. We can't expect the same thing from Jesus. We can't expect or get caught up in nationalism or railing against our broken culture because that sort of misses the point. We need to set an example in our lives and in our church communities, like here at Peace, and in this way, we will stand in stark contrast to the world. And in this way, we will bring that message, just like the angels did, to the most despised in society. And they will turn. And they will go, oh my goodness, Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. We have to set that example. And I'm excited for you guys. As, as many of you guys know, I, I pray for this church all the time. And I'm, I'm so honored and grateful to be here once again with you guys. And I certainly hope it's not the last. And you guys have a great pastor that leads you, Kevin. He has a deep love for Jesus. And I know he just wants to share that with the whole world. And you guys get to be a part of that. And that's pretty cool. God always does things in strange ways, it seems like. He ushered in God's kingdom here in a strange way with Jesus put him in a feeding trough, bring in some dirty shepherds to, to worship him. It's a very strange way that God brings himself into the world. And in that same way, sometimes maybe we can feel like nobody's right now, but God can use you too as sort of an advent to the world, a coming of Jesus into this world. 
You know, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was the founder of the Cistercian, Cistercian order of monks, he used to say that Christ comes into the world in three different ways. In Bethlehem at Christmas, at the end of the age, and in the lives of believers every day. So I hope that today we can walk away here with a newfound sense of joy in the transcendent Jesus and knowing that he is here and it doesn't matter what kind of fleeting happiness happens in our life, we can always find a deep sense of joy in what God has called us to do. Let's pray.